It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. And a good Saturday morning to you. Seven minutes after six o'clock live at the WSB Radio Studios in Midtown Atlanta. It's Ashley Frasca hosting Green and Growing for you for the next three hours today. I don't have a lot to talk about. I mean, it's spring. We all know it's spring. We're chomping at the bits to get outside and do some things. So I would rather hear from you. You hear enough of me Monday through Friday doing traffic, hosting this show. But um, would love to hear from you whether or not you've got questions, just want to share what you're doing uh, in the landscape, or just what's your favorite thing about this time of year. Oh, my gosh. I have family that just came up from Florida two days ago. And and they were native to Georgia but uh, moved to Florida and they just said, oh, we didn't realize until we drove back up here how much we miss spring. The Bradford pears blooming, all of the cherry tree blooms. You know, you don't get that in Florida since everything's kind of blooming year round. So it really is. We're, we're very fortunate here to have the spring that we do in the south. I love it so much. It's just such a happy time of year. We're, I think, right before the pollen's really going to get a little out of hand. Those few weeks are somewhat miserable, but we'll put up with it to get the good show that we get. So Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty to get in on green and growing again. Just whatever you're working on or whatever you're noticing, and I have uh, received in the last week or so. Let me reach for my phone. Some observations from folks, and I always do love hearing from people whether it is what they're noticing or just suggestions for me for the show. You know, you need to uh, to make sure folks know about this or this. So I love those suggestions as well. So Mickey Gasaway, she she sent one along as she was starting a project on Thursday, just a couple of days ago, getting ready to plant her potatoes in perlite. And that was one of Walter's things that he talked about for so many years, just a Rubbermaid container or something, big plastic heavy container that you're willing to drill holes in the bottom. Um, and she's going to be doing that as well. Hasn't done it in several years, but when she did do it, they turned out great. Got the idea from Walter. So it is on his website on walterreeves.com. If you just type perlite, or growing potatoes or something simple like that. Uh, she thought that you all would like to hear about that. And I've meant to do it for years and years, and I don't think I've ever gotten around to it. But every March, I think about it. Um, and I did sweet potatoes, but in soil and all of that last fall or late last summer. And those came out great, too. But, I mean, what a fun thing and something you can just do on the back deck, do on the back patio, and really keep a close eye on. And the perlite's going to regulate the moisture that stays in there. It is key that you drill the holes in the bottom of whatever container it is. And then I had uh, Joseph email me just a little bit ago, and this was something that I kind of started talking about a few weeks ago but didn't really get into it. Uh, you may want to let listeners know about the salmonella outbreak being spread to other birds by the pine siskin. And I did some reading up on that uh, a couple of weeks ago when I found one dead on my back deck, um, just brushing all the leaves away from the wintertime and all of those Things that had collected on the back deck, you know, we didn't spend as much time out there in the winter, so I kind of let it go. And I found a pine siskin dead, and I didn't think it was a window hit. He was right under a window, but I didn't think that's what it was due to. So doing a little bit of research, a salmonella outbreak has been really large uh, for these particular birds on the West Coast. So there's a lot of literature and things being done, advocacy out in California. But obviously these birds don't stay contained to the West Coast. Um and we are seeing a huge number of pine siskins right now. A lot of you started observing that maybe in the last month or so. Um, they're eating you out of house and home as far as the 
feeders go and they're in large numbers, but they don't stay. They're migratory, so they're just kind of passing through. So that won't be forever. And I've even had someone notice so many starlings um, that are just going crazy. And again, they're a little aggressive toward other birds. They're running them off from the feeders. So that's something as well. But do a little more research um, if you find it necessary. So far, the Atlanta Audubon Society and all that, I haven't seen a lot about the salmonella outbreak, but I, I do know the pine siskins carry it. Um, and people in California were being asked to make sure to take their feeders down just for a couple of weeks to let it calm down. And that just sounds terrible to me. That would kill me to actually remove the feeder from the birds, but probably for the best and good sanitary practices as well. We'll definitely talk a lot more about that as we put the hummingbird feeders up for summertime, uh, depending on if you have a clear glass container or plastic container that that uh, sugar water goes in. When the sunlight comes through it, it does start to cause mold and mildew, and that's something that you need to think about. And with the regular feeders, too, there are certain stores um, in the metro Atlanta area that you can take those to, and they'll take them apart, especially the more intricate ones, maybe the squirrel-proof ones. They will take them apart for you. They charge you a little bit of a fee, but take them apart, clean every single piece, because I guarantee, I know this from experience, if you try to do it yourself, you'll take it apart and then no, have no idea how to put it back together. So that's something good to do at least once a year. Clean clean your regular bird feeders out, and um, the ones that have niger seed as well, the long tubular ones that you can keep niger seed in for the goldfinches and things. If you put too much niger in there and it sits for too long and they just don't eat it quickly enough, if that gets any moisture trapped in that tube at all, that'll kind of start to mold and mildew and all the seed kind of sticks together. So if you're thinking about doing those, um, I wouldn't fill them up all the way every time. Let the goldfinches kind of eat slowly, maybe half of it at a time. Um, and there's always kind of the sock, the mesh bag as well that you can put niger seed in. And that's lower maintenance, something you don't have to clean. 404-872-0750. You're welcome to pass things along to me this morning, either via phone or the Green and Growing Facebook page. Just search Green and Growing WSB on Facebook, and there's the page. Like it, follow it. I try to post timely stuff, relevant articles, relevant news stories about the outdoors, and I think we have some good conversations there. So what I wanted to get into this morning with you Thinking about it being the one-year anniversary of this COVID stuff, it was this week exactly. I remember it was my best friend's birthday when when all the news came down last year. So really, we're starting to emerge from this long, year-long hibernation. And all of us are itching to get back out, see each other. But we've slowly been creeping back out into nature, which I absolutely love seeing that. It's kind of a, a solace and tranquility that a lot of us need. But with that being said... I did some research for you because I know you want to take the family out this spring and spring break's coming up. A lot of you may not be traveling with the kids if you're staying home and doing a staycation um, for spring break. Atlanta area gardens to visit. I thought that a lot of you might benefit from some of this info. And I myself learned of a few new gardens. That's kind of why I got the idea to do this, to share these uh, with you. And if there are any on this list coming up that I have left off, please feel free to share them. But these are just a few of the highlights. First of all, we know the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, right? Right there set within Piedmont Park downtown. It's an urban oasis in the heart of Midtown, and it includes 30 acres of outdoor gardens and an award-winning children's garden, a canopy walk, which is so much fun to walk above the trees, and the picturesque skyline garden where you can see most of the skyline of downtown Atlanta. So right now... Tulips, daffodils, crocuses, and hyacinths, and then check out a variety of ways to grow bulbs, including container gardens and floating islands. They have all of that info on their website for the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. Up next, Piedmont Park. Piedmont Park has a rich history spanning over the course of nearly two 
centuries. Since the early 1800s, Piedmont Park has continuously evolved and changed hands, and it underwent several transformations. It began as a forest and then became a farm and a fairground, so that was pretty neat, and a suburban park, and now finally the urban park that it is today. So looking on the calendar for Piedmont Park, they do have walking tours available Saturdays throughout this month, the month of March, so you definitely want to check that out. Listen to the show until 9 and then head to Piedmont Park while you're in the car listening to the end of the show and do a walking tour. There's so much great history there. And support the Piedmont Park Conservancy because that is the arm of the park that is able to keep it functioning and operational. And we'll get back to having all of the concerts and everything, hopefully, fingers crossed, very, very soon. Next is Oakland Cemetery. It's Atlanta's oldest public park and the final resting place of many of the city's most noted citizens. And less than a mile from downtown, that's 48 acres History and gardens, sculpture and architecture, there's a lot to see there. The ancient oak trees and magnolias is beautiful. And they do as well have daffodils blooming now. And something fun on their calendar was a spring scramble scavenger hunt. And that is happening at the end of March. So again, something kind of cool to do. I always wanted to take my stepson to uh, Oakland Cemetery. I didn't know if he was a little too young. I don't think so. 11, 12 years old, just because it was so neat. And a young boy would think that that was kind of eerie, but cool. And then going to six feet under right across the street afterwards, just to continue with the theme. I always meant to do that, never did. And now he's grown up. The Dunwoody Nature Center is one that I actually got a good opportunity to visit last year for the first time. And the park is open daily from sunrise to sundown. You can explore wetlands, a teepee, hiking trails, and a woodland playground, and visit the hammock garden to relax before you leave. Dunwoody Park is part of the Dunwoody Parks and Recreation Green Space, and it's open and free to the public. And then when you check out their website as well, they have classes and things like that that you can attend. Callaway Resort and Gardens, that's a big one, but a lot of you may not think of it because it's, you know, south of Metro Atlanta, but 2,500 acres in Pine Mountain, And we're right at the start of azalea season. So there they have more than 20,000 azaleas, over 700 different varieties. So if you are an azalea lover and you can't make it to the Masters this year, you're not allowed, this may be the next best place to see some of the state's best azaleas. All right, one more, and then we'll take a break, and I'll finish up the list. Smith-Gilbert Gardens, those of you... In Cobb County, this one's close to your hearts in the city of Kennesaw. It is their botanical garden. Voted one of the top five places to take children in the metro Atlanta area. 17-acre property, rich with botanical, artistic, and historic treasures, and 15 themed garden spaces. And houses more than 4,000 curated plant species. So, again, I was there um, probably a couple of years ago during hummingbird time. And they have a uh, very defined pollinator garden and hummingbird feeders. And you just stand in that open area and you're surrounded by, you know, an edging of the, the flowers and things that attract them. And, I mean, it was just incredible to see them buzzing by you. That was the most hummingbirds I've ever seen. So Smith Gilbert Gardens in Kennesaw. All right, 618. I can't wait to finish this list with you. A few more to go. We're going to take a break and check traffic and weather, and we'll be back, and hopefully with your calls as well. 404-872-0750. It's green and growing on WSB. Looking forward to another beautiful weekend. I think the rain is moving in as early as Monday, but at least for today, a high of 76. Yeah, don't wear a long sleeve uh, sweater like I did yesterday. You'll be dying by lunchtime. High of 76, low of only 52, mostly cloudy to partly cloudy. And then tomorrow, 79. Ah, 79. Don't forget the sunscreen, low of 56. 
Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, back to the Atlanta area gardens to visit here in just a moment. I've got a few more, but yeah, top three. Number one, fertilize spring bulbs and perennials. Plant ornamental grasses and perennials and perennial herbs. I feel like this is last week's list. No, it's not. It's not. It's new. Uh, number two, freshen up your pansies, deadhead them, remove old scraggly foliage when you uh, feed with Osmocote. Now is a good time to do that. Just take all the dead stuff away. And I've also freshened up asters and coreopsis that are starting to green up. Um, and dianthus could use a feeding too. You may see some tiny little flowers on your dianthus that have come back. And number three, water trees planted in the last six months. That is so important to stay on top of. That's probably the number one thing to do to ensure that that survives. Weekly apply one gallon of water per foot of height. Okay, so getting back to this list, places you definitely want to visit, and I will probably share this on the uh, Green and Growing Facebook page later on today. Green Meadows Preserve. Over 100 acres, this Cobb County Park offers quiet woodlands and meadows, and I featured their Bluebird Trail, uh, which is very busy with nesters this time of year last year. So, man, you got to go back and check that out, too. I did a great interview with Jim Bearden about bluebirds. And, Jason, you've got one for us. Gibbs Gardens in ball ground. Up in my neck of the woods. What are you doing all the way up in ball ground? Going to Gibbs Gardens. It's so. well worth the drive. And what is the most amazing thing to see right now? Those daffodils. Wow. I mean, if you want to feel like spring is here, just walking out and seeing the fields upon fields of daffodils, it's mind-blowingly beautiful. You've died and gone to heaven. All right. And really? I, I have the number. Do you know how many? You say tons and tons. How many? I have no idea. 20 million daffodils. Wow. Yeah. Yep. The daffodil gardens, 20 million daffodils. That is their highlight right now. And also for Scythia, Quince, Spirea, all flourishing under a canopy of white dogwood and flowering cherry trees. All of that's going on at once right now. 300 acre estate garden graced by 220 acres of artistically landscaped gardens. Unbelievable. So worth the trek up to ball ground, which Absolutely is, North, is. Yeah, North Cherokee County. That And stop by and say hello to me on your way through Woodstock and Holly Springs. Uh, Woodlands Garden, that is in Decatur, in the city, an urban preserve, seven acres of natural Piedmont forest. They are currently closed, but check back if you're in the DeKalb County area, Woodlands Garden. Blue Heron Nature Preserve, that's a new one that I was not aware of. Home of the three-mile Blue Way Trail off of Roswell Road includes meadows and a butterfly garden. So, And if any of you in Gwinnett and Henry counties feel left out, I could not find any gardens for your areas. So give me a call. Let me know which ones I forgot. 404-872-0750. going to step out and be back with Walter Reeves in just a moment on Green and Growing. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. All right, coming up throughout the show today, your garden calls, your garden questions. 404-872-0750. Outside the Metro Atlanta area, do we still give that number out? 1-800-WSB-TALK? think anybody needs to call a toll-free number because now that we have cell phones there's no long distance so just stick with 404-872-0750 it's the number you know and love it has not changed um dave baker coming up at nine o'clock with the home fix it show on nine to noon today 
So keep everything right here. We're going to help you with everything in the garden, everything in your home. That's what we do here on Saturday morning, starting off at a good pace. So you're listening to Green and Growing, and it is time for spring. So I'm getting a lot more emails and texts and messages from folks noticing things outside. I'm going to get right back to those in just a minute. But it is the time of the show where we hear from the former host of the Lawn and Garden Show, Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. With Walter Reeves this morning. Hey, Walter. Hey, Ashley. We do this segment together where we're curious. We're curious gardeners. We're always teaching each other, learning from each other, and learning from you, too, taking in your observations and your questions and things like that. So, Walter, you recently heard from someone who was a little distraught yeah. that they spent all this time in the fall planting bulbs, and here we are at March, yeah. and nothing. Well, there wasn't nothing. They said, I got some bulbs, but I was expecting a lot of flowers in March. I just didn't get what I thought I should. Is it possible that I planted them upside down? Mm. Mm. And that is a concern for some people, of course, mm-hmm. if they don't get what they expect. Did you just do it wrong to begin with? My answer, no problem. Bulbs, no. Will, t- bulbs will write themselves just like a cat, you know, a cat when you drop it out of the window, they write themselves pretty quickly. Isn't that cool? Bulbs can do that very thing. When they are planted upside down, it's not hard sometimes for some bulbs to do yeah, that. Yeah, you can't tell. You can't tell which way is up, which way is down. Who knows? The the roots will come out and they will feel which way gravity is or in some cases which way blue light is. Oh, wow. And they'll send their roots out and they'll grab the earth around them and it'll gradually contract and expand and contract and expand and crawl down through the earth until they get to the depth they like. Is there any video or time lapse of any kind you've ever been able to see of that process of a bulb actually turning in the ground? I mean, how no. cool would that be? That would be great cool. That really be, cool. It would have to be like in a, an environment where there's a clear wall yeah, on one side and somehow out. the soil is gaped enough to yeah. where you could see the bulb, but that would be neat to see. So that is an interesting thing. When, when I said the roots move away from blue light, that is called a tropism. A tropism is a movement of a plant towards or away from something. And there are lots of different tropisms, like mm, sunflowers. You know, sunflowers, they, they face the sunshine, right? Yeah. That's called helio. Tropism, because the sun is in Greek is helio, and so movement towards the sun is heliotropism. Interesting. The roots, if they move towards gravity, which some roots are stimulated by the gravity, if they go towards gravity, they're called geotropic, and if they grow away from gravity, and some roots really grow away from gravity, they're called negatively geotropic. Orchids. Yeah. Some of their roots are air roots, and they grow up and out and over a pot. What mm. would that be? Or are they just air roots, and they do what they want? just air roots. <laughs> and they just do <laughs> no, I don't think so on that. Is um, there, but, is, but, you know, orchids sometimes will lean towards things, and that's another example of heliotropism or you know, just leaning towards the light. Is yeah. there a word for any plant, and I don't even know if this happens scientifically, but leaning towards water? Why, yes, it is. Uh-uh. Hydrotropism. No way. Way. That's cool. Hydrotropism. I was going out on a limb on that one. But you got it. That's a hydrotropism. All right. Now, here, how how then do vines find something to climb? You know, you got a bean, let's say it's in the ground, and a little sprout comes out of the ground, and the sprout looks around. But how does it find a pole or a wire or something else to climb upon? I don't know how that works, but then over time, to continue its grasp onto something, 
it has almost like little hair follicles sure. that come out of the vine sure. or out of the stem that allow it to attach to whatever, but or I don't know. It senses, as it grows, it senses where is light and where is not light. So it looks for shade, frankly. It looks for shade. The shade, it figures, must be something taller than me. And if it's taller than me, I want to climb it because I want to be up there where the sunshine is. That's called scototropism. There's that little bean plant goes around and looks for shade, scototropism. And then when it touches the, the bean pole, as you said, it sometimes has little hairs that cling onto things. But beans twine around the yeah, circle, round do. and round and round and round. And that's called thigmotropism, touching Thigmotropism. Oh. And the bean vine just sort of touches things and says, oh, this is something I better cling to and go round and round and round so I can go up and up and up and again find the, find the sun. That is so cool. Yeah, there are bunches of different other tropisms. I can't remember many more than that. With scototropism, scototropism, heliotropism, hydrotropism, geotropism, all those things are fascinating. The things that stimulate plants to do what they do by hormones, by just whatever mechanical and chemical things do. Just like we have hormones yeah. and, you know, everything working in your brain to direct your body a certain way, it's amazing to think cells in a plant yeah. all work together to do something similar. They're not thinking exactly, but they're reacting. Right. Mm -hmm. They sure are. Going back to the bulb question that you had, it is possible that some of the bulbs were planted too deeply, but when you use a... Trowel or something like that, you generally what's know... What's the round... Thing um, with a handle. Bulb planter. Yeah, I bulb, bulb planter. A bulb yeah. planter, yeah, but that allows you to get pretty uniform holes, you know, yeah. when you're when you're preparing for your bulbs. What is too deep? I guess it depends on the bulb. Yeah, it really does. The bulb has um what are we gonna call this? Uh, the bulb has a mechanism of figuring out what is too deep and what is too too high in the soil to protect them from predators, I guess, one, and to protect them from light is another, and to keep them from getting too dry is a third. And so all those things go together to cause the bulb's contractile roots to move it to the height and the you know, depth in the soil that it really likes. And depending on the variety of bulb and depending on um, sort of the environment that the bulb is growing in, it may decide to grow it three inches deep or six inches deep. It just depends on what the environment is and where the bulb thinks it's most comfortable in the soil. One last thing about bulbs. You know, folks are really being rewarded and have been the last month or two seeing a lot of their bulbs bloom. But yeah. Are there any we could plant right now? The summer flowering bulb, sure. It's getting close to daylily time, I'm Ooh. thinking here. Daylily, that's not a bulb exactly, but it's a root. All right, right sure, daylily. A little too cold for dahlias, but dahlias will be soon, so it gets a little bit warmer. Peonies, yeah, I could plant peonies now. Sure, sure could. I'm sure there's other summer flowering tuberose and... Um, ranunculus? Maybe ranunculus. I think they're more spring... Okay. Yeah, let's just wait on the ranunculus, do it in the fall. Well, that's been an, an interesting discussion. And for a glossary of some of the terms that Walter used today, tropisms. I want you to go to my Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. And I'm going to have a glossary of those tropisms on Facebook. I'm moving away. Tropisms, <laughs> I surely am. Absolutely love you, Walter. Thank you so much. That is That is super helpful. So, yep, it's up on Green and Growing WSB. When you search it on Facebook, all of the trope tropisms that we just discussed. All right, 404-872-0750. Up next, Mark in Covington. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I um, I just wanted to add one garden, or actually two, to your list. Okay, uh, let's do it. you didn't list. One is the uh, Georgia State Botanical Garden in Athens, Georgia. Not very far from Atlanta, from the metro area within an hour, I guess a little over an hour. 
but beautiful garden. They've got some big, large, formal gardens, and there's also, you could make a day of it. They've got a little sandwich shop in there, but they've got several miles of hiking trails as well, so it's a, a really nice place to go on a day like today. It's so beautiful. Now, I don't know if they're open right now since COVID. I'm not sure about that. You might want to check before you go, but that's another one. Very nice place. The State Botanical Gardens in Athens. You're right. I, I went there as a college student when I was at UGA, and I, I just didn't appreciate it. I, I went by myself one day on South Millage. I just remember having some yep. free time, and I went, and I just certainly did not appreciate it like I certainly need to. Like 300 acres, you're absolutely right, and they do so much in conjunction with the university and you know, experimentation and things like that. And what else? What's the other one, Mark? Well, the other one was uh, Barnsley Gardens up in Bears. Oh, it's my gosh. A, I can't believe I forgot that one. Yeah, it's not a real uh, largely known for its gardens like Callaway or something like that, but it's uh, it's got a lot of history there. It's really interesting, and there's places to stay, and there's other activities. I think they've got a uh, golf course, and it's like a destination. You could do a weekend there and do all the history and still go. I think they've even got a, uh, more of this as some fishing, uh, shoot of sporting clays and stuff like that. But the gardens is really nice. And we actually met the guy. I can't remember his last name. His first name was Cliff, who was kind of a caretaker. And he had a lot of history with the family that, that built the place. Wow. And, uh, so that's, a, that's another nice place that's not too far. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, couples can go because it's a resort, and one can go golfing, exactly. one can go to the gardens. You're right. Barnsley Gardens up near Daresville. Mark, two great ones I'm going to add to the list. Thank you very much. Thank you, and right. have a beautiful day. You too. Drive safe. I love that. And the State Botanical Gardens, absolutely, off South, South Millage in Athens. Um, they're very proud of their children's garden as well. That's just such an interactive experience. I watched a short little video not too long ago on all of the, the time and energy and sponsorships that they've put into the children's gardens there for sure. But when you're in Athens, you really do, like Mark said, have to make a full day of it because, I mean, not only the State Botanical Gardens, you know, for Georgia located there, but on the campus of the University of Georgia, the Founders Memorial Garden. That's one of the most historic ones. I think garden clubs began in Athens, Georgia, you know, over a hundred years ago. So there's so much history and things, and we were able to keep so much of it right on campus as well. And there's um, experimental gardens and trial gardens on the campus as well. Some of that's open to the public, some's not. But they also have an ethnobotanical garden that I saw in this video as well, and there's graduate students that work on this ethnobotanical garden, Latin American, like just everything that survives in the you know warmer climates and things they're experimenting with there. So that one I do believe is open to the public, and again, it's located on the campus. Mark, great additions to the list. Thank you. Up next, my hometown, Woodstock, we talked to Jeff. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Um, I had a question. I have a Jane Magnolia. Um, it's about about five feet tall right now and i'm trying to eventually trim it or prune it into uh more like a tree and i was wondering if you had any advice on when to prune it and how to kind of get that shape because i know it's kind of gets like unruly and looks more like a giant bush if you leave it uh leave it alone it does yeah so jane magnolias are kind of in that saucer magnolia tulip magnolia family that they're not your traditional 
you know, old southern waxy green leaf magnolia. But yeah, Jane magnolias, it's a good addition to any landscape as a tree, as a shrub. A lot of the blooms coming on right now before anything else. Um, But Jeff, general rule of thumb, you know, for those spring flowering things, we want to prune those and do the major pruning after it blooms. So give it another few weeks. And I know just with one heavy rain or one windstorm, all of those petals get knocked off almost in the blink of an eye. But wait until it's done flowering um, and then go out there and never remove more than one third at a time. So that is going to be kind of an ever evolving project for you to kind of get it into the tree form that you want. But once once the spring flowers are done, go ahead and reduce it by a third, you know, kind of shape it up starting at the bottom, see how that does. And then maybe going into, you know, fall, but don't wait too close to winter time. Take a little more away. Um, what? Why are you doing more tree form? Just like you said, because it's just getting kind of crazy. Well, no, it's it's young, and I just really like the way, um, like, uh, what's the word? The uh, hydrangea trees, like those, um, the limelights that look really cool that yeah. are shaped into it. I just like the, unique, the uniqueness of it, of something that isn't exactly going to look like a tree, but I can make it look like a tree. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and they're so adaptable, too. So I think, you know, no matter what you try to do to it, they're pretty sturdy. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead and get those pruners sharpened and ready maybe in the next month or so, and that's going to be the best time for you to take it back by about 30%. Okay, and last question. So mm-hmm. at, like at the bottom, do I need to start cutting even bigger branches that are – that are kind of branching out further than from the base or do I not worry about that and worry more, worry more about like trimming the little guys and then keeping it full at the top. I would do some of the bulk of the larger ones. Now, this is a good time of oh, year to do that. Okay. And when you take the bigger limbs out, starting, you know, at the bottom, always cut back to a point. Don't just, you know, cut it in the middle of a limb, just like you'd cut at your elbow and leave the rest of your arm. So go back to a growth point where a new limb is coming out or, you know, where it meets another, there's a juncture, you know, and it meets another large limb or something. That way you're not going to have these random, you know, nubs on the tree. Um, That's really important and make very good sharp cuts too. So I think you're well on your way. Thank you for the call, Jeff. We're going to talk to Lori and Decatur in just a moment, but step out to check traffic and weather. We'll be right back to Green and Growing on WSB. And I'm here this morning to only deliver good news. So first, we'll start with the weather. Already starting to lighten up outside. A high in the mid-70s today. Mostly cloudy to partly cloudy. Unseasonably warm. And a stray shower not out of the question. But, nah, I don't think so. Uh, Lows in the low 50s. Not to doubt Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. But I think it's going to be dry today. It's going to be pretty. It's going to be partly cloudy tomorrow. Highs reaching almost 80 degrees. So like I said, wear the sunscreen Just be careful out there. Don't get too carried away. But yeah, the rain returns Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right. So you're busy over the wintertime. I know you planted trees, you planted shrubs, anything that's been planted in the last four to six months. Hopefully you've stayed on top of the watering. Weekly, apply one gallon of water per foot of height of the tree. So you got to stay on top of that weekly. We've had a little dry spell here, you know, maybe for eight days or so. So that's very key on you to make sure they stay watered. 
Number two, fertilize spring bulbs and perennials. And you can also be planting ornamental grasses, perennials, and perennial herbs. And if you saw the Pike Nursery ad this week, they had a lot of cool ornamental grasses in there. Take your pick. There's so many out there. And number three, freshen up pansies. They're still going strong. Deadhead them. Remove the old foliage. And now's a good time to throw on some Osmocote just to fertilize them a little bit. Back at 7 o'clock with your calls, 404-872-0750. I'm Ashley Frasca. It's Green and Growing on WSB. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.